0: What's up, everyone? You are in for a big treat today. We are speaking with Miss London Angel Winters. She is an international spiritual intimacy teacher. She and her life partner, Justin Patrick Pierce, teach the yoga of intimacy, a body of work designed to help others create a life of unbridled love and sacred relationship. As part of helping women and men to deepen an intimacy, London uses serpent medicine. She has raised four temple snakes and uses them in sacred ceremony to help others awaken to their sensual power. London also has a background as a fitness champion and certified exercise specialist, and brings that expertise to sacred intimacy by helping women reclaim feeling good in their bodies. Ultimately, everything she offers centers around helping others shine their light, open their hearts, and most importantly, love like they've never been hurt. She offers public and private trainings to couples and singles around the world, as well as books, online courses, and regular interaction through her Facebook, Sacred Relationship. Oh my goodness, I just wrapped up this episode with London, and it is so good. She's amazing. I I, I knew that she was awesome, because I've been reading her work in the meantime, waiting for this interview, but you never really know people until you hop on, you have a chat with them, and London, just her conversation flowed so beautifully. We talk a lot about flow, actually. We talk about a lot of things, about remaining open and falling in love with yourself, and making sure that the flow continues to happen through your body and your relationship in all relationship. It's a beautiful, beautiful, insightful conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. This review of the week comes from BT, and she says relevant and challenging with five stars. This podcast brings the most relevant and challenging content to my core self. It causes me to self-examine my thoughts, feelings, and intentions around how I view wellness As it relates to mind, body, and soul. I can relate to Maddie's past in regards to her spiritual upbringing, and I love witnessing her journey as she shares her ups and downs with her followers. I trust Maddie's guests to hit me with fresh conversation to make me think. Thank you, Maddie. You are so welcome, B-Tay. I almost said Brittany. BT, thank you for this beautiful review. It means so much to me. We do not really have any announcements today, other than if you want to have a free Audible trial, you can go to the link in the show notes for this episode 178 and get a free Audible trial, which means a free book. You can also just go to audibletrial.com slash mindbodymusings and you get 30 days of free Audible access and one free audio book. So any book that has ever been mentioned on this podcast, I highly recommend you go over to Audible and you check it out, download it, listen to it, and you'll get it for free. And I think that's all the announcements we have for today. I'm really excited about this interview. I don't really want to wait to share it with you. So let's go head on over to this fantastic show.
1: Mm-hmm. Maddie. Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life-altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host, Maddie Moon.
0: Hey everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I am here with London Angel Winters, who I am so excited to interview today because I have so many questions for her totally different experience, totally different background from anyone we've had on the show before. This is going to be a extremely juicy chat and podcast interview, so I'm so glad to have you here with us today, London. How are you doing?
2: Oh, hi. I'm great, and I'm really happy to be here with you.
0: Is that your real name, London Angel Winters? I mean, like, maybe the London part. Is that your birth name?
2: Believe it or not, it is, and you would think I had hippie parents, but my parents are about as straight-laced as it gets, so... Go figure on where that name what? came from. Whoa. I know.
0: That's amazing. That's such a beautiful name. I was I've been reading this and I'm like, Holy oh, like I'm just like I love this name. It has such a beautiful ring and it fits you very well.
2: Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs>
0: so as I was telling you before we started recording, one of the first things that we do on this show is introduce you and some of your background and story, especially if your parents are as straight-laced as you say. I am very interested to how you got to where you are today. So if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about your background and your story and maybe a few of the things that you adventured through to become a coach and to become a spiritual intimacy healer.
2: mm. Yes. Well, like I said, my parents are extremely straight-laced. My dad's actually a minister. He ministers in prisons, which is incredible. And my mom is a very conservative person. We grew up in the Midwest. And I went to, like, I'm the typical, you know, all-girls Catholic school, church-every-weekend kind of person. And I really loved my parents a lot and um felt like I wanted to please them. And so for the first half of my life, I went about the path that they envisioned for me. And, you know, I went to Northwestern, studied journalism, became a uh, TV producer, won an Emmy as a producer, worked uh, at newspapers, uh, then ran a travel network. I was extremely successful in the media world. And I was, you know, just really kind of living the life that... um that Midwest background of all-girls Catholic school had kind of presented to me, but I was always at odds because I had this very metaphysical side, extremely sexual person, and I never really knew what to do with it. And so at one point in my life, there was a turning point where I couldn't deny who I really was, and I started to pursue uh, my true calling which was spiritual intimacy, um, deep metaphysical witchy work, and really just embracing myself as a fully embodied woman. And what's been beautiful is it wasn't a rebellion against my parents. It's been this like really beautiful way of almost like coming out of the closet in my own way and doing it in a way where I was able to own who I was without rejecting the people who love me. And so my journey has been one of coming home into my body, coming home into my sexuality, and coming home into really manifesting the life that I wanted that felt the truest to me.
0: Okay, so I have so many questions already. <laughs> but the, the first one that popped in my head, um, you said that, I love this, you said that you don't, it wasn't in a rebellion kind of way. Did you ever feel like you, <clears throat> coming out of your sexuality closet feeling free and expressive did did your parents ever take that as a rebellion even if you were doing it in a gentle i'm doing this for me kind of way
2: no which was really to their credit and my credit and the way i did it was so open-hearted um so like one thing i've learned in teaching spiritual intimacy is uh, it's just kind of jumping in here but it explains everything is You, there's two ways to approach the world. One is with an open, soft body, and another is with a defended, hard, closed body. And that decision, whether you're open or closed, makes the difference in every interaction you will ever have, including with your parents. So if I had sort of come out on the attack, you know, blamed them, like it took me, you know, 25 years to even find who I really am because you pushed me into this and you pushed me into that and you shamed me for this. Like I could have come on the attack against them, but instead, you know, I did my own work. I really recognized that they did the absolute best they could for me. Uh, they gave me everything that they had the tools to give me. And unfortunately my path needed a whole bunch of other tools because, you know, I needed to understand my energy, you know? um, And so I had basically totally forgiven them and empowered and resourced myself. And I felt really complete in my journey. And then as I give them who I am, I do it with my practice. I do it with a soft heart. I do it with a full embodiment of my womb, sitting in my own sovereignty, so comfortable with who I am that I don't need to make them wrong for who they are. And as a result, we're closer than ever before. It's really beautiful.
0: Oh, I've got like goosebumps hearing you say that because that's such a serene mental picture of how you've been able to come forward with such a soft, loving, open-hearted body. And in my experience from what I've seen and what I have experienced in my own life and in my clients and friends, the world, um, we get very defensive and reactive when someone says something about the way we live our life that we have a deep down insecurity about. And so a lot of times, like, let's just say like for your life, your family, for example, if, if your parents had ever said something like, Hey, you use serpent medicine, which I know we'll get to in a minute, um, that's against our beliefs or our religion, or let's just say they said something like that. Maybe that's not even the case, but something about what you're doing. And maybe if you had this belief deep down that it wasn't what you wanted to do, you would react and you would get mad and you would blame it on them. But if you, so I guess, wait, let me, let me, um, put this into a question. Do you feel that you have done immense work on not being reactive by being certain in your beliefs first and foremost or maybe by leaving room open to never being truly certain and so people saying something is right or wrong, it never truly affects you. Does that make sense? I know I took a lot closer. Yeah,
2: it makes total sense. And I would say a little bit of all of the above. Um, the certainty... Um, is going to be a little bit more on the masculine side of the consciousness, of being able to transcend the moment. Like, for example, you can see the forest. You're not, like, facing a tree, you know? And so on the masculine side of my being, the certainty would come from being able to see the forest. Since I do so much embodied feminine work, usually I'm in um, more of that divine feminine. I'm in what I call omega. I, I don't like to refer to it as masculine, because, uh, that doesn't feel sexy. So I call it alpha. When I'm in alpha, I'm in that diamond mine of clarity. And that's when anyone can say a comment and I'm kind of like, okay, you know, and I just transcend the moment and I go into awareness and I go, okay, I see what you're saying. And I feel different. And all of our opinions can live here. You know, when I'm in omega, when I'm in that divine feminine practice where, I'm not transcending the moment, I am the moment, I am the content of the moment. It's very responsive. So Omega practice is all about being responsive. That's what creates like insane sex with your man, is instead of like observing yourself and being witness to the moment, you are the moment. Ooh, and so, yeah, yeah right, <laughs> which is like amazing. Um, so I spend a lot of time there and sometimes I'm around my parents and I'm in the moment, and if they made a comment like that i'm not going to be able to like pristine consciousness and like enlightened restraint and like transcend the moment and say something really intelligent i am the moment so what i'll do is just show them my hurt like a show them my hurt i'll let my heart be revealed and it's not as an attack because an attack would mean i felt hurt and then i went defensive instead what I try and do is literally just be in the truth of where I'm at without defense. So if they said something like serpent medicine is the work of the devil, you know, I would just look at them. I would feel my truth and I would just say, wow, that really hurts. Um, my snakes mean everything to me and they've helped me tremendously. I'm sorry you feel that way. And, and I'm again, soft, open body, fully transparent heart. I'm, not necessarily defending, I'm not rising above, I'm just letting them know how that felt. Same tools I use in my relationship to let my man see when he hurts me and when he doesn't. You know, It's like when you're really in that sort of just open, transparent revelation of your heart and your emotional body, people learn how to give you more respect because it's so powerful for someone to feel your heart and the way they affected your heart. And so that's really where I've come from um, that's allowed all of this beautiful openness to happen. And it's been hard. I have to stay, I have to stay vulnerable in those moments. I have to stay with the moment. I have to not withdraw. For me, attacking and being like, you guys don't know anything, you know, you you're just an old generation. You don't you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. That would be like withdrawing into defense and taking myself out of connection. But I also don't need to be bigger than the moment to be in connection. I can just literally say like, wow, that, that hurts me because I love my snakes and I find my snakes one of the most powerful vehicles of enlightenment on this planet, you know, and that's where I feel. And I'm sorry you don't see that and that's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it can be so loving, you know, and that's, that's where you become the leader of love.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. The leader of love. I love this because you are leading by example of how to have honest, open conversations with vulnerability. And in in my life, I've noticed that the reactive side or maybe passive aggressive, and I'm not saying me necessarily sometimes. Yeah. But what I've been surrounded by my whole life is when there's anger or upset or someone is defensive, it's attack. It's attack. It's attack. It's attack. Like previous relationships and partners, we did that to each other. And instead of just saying what you feel coming from a place of love, we would cover it up because, um, what fill in the blank. You're, you're fearful of being seen. You know, you're afraid that Mm. your actual needs are neediness. It's whatever it may (laughs) be. But yep. it's easier just to cover it up and, and have some, I would even say almost like a fake reason to be upset covering it up until you slow down and really ask yourself, what is the reason why I'm upset? And I'm assuming that with time, I have experiences in my lo- own life, but I'm assuming that you would say also with time, practicing this becomes more of your reaction than the reaction of being sarcastic or passive aggressive or pointing fingers, it becomes easier to let yourself lead with love and also take your time to see what's triggering you the most. Um, I mean, like if, if a mom is saying something about your body that's not necessarily nitpicky or mean but she is making some sort of comment about your body and you get triggered and you react by pointing your finger and saying you you ruined my life with your body comments you did this you did that how can you instead open up and say hey like that really hurts I've done a lot of work on my body image and when you say those comments it pulls me back five years ago and it makes me sad right and and trying that out and seeing how that works when you come from that place of love I love this
2: Yes, yes, that's so true. And, you know, even if you don't have your wits about you to be that intelligent, you know, what you said was so beautifully intelligent. And, like, if you're so triggered, you can't even find that. I mean, I've literally stood in front of my mom and just been like, ow, ow, mom, ow. And then I leave it at that. And she just goes, oh, my God, honey, what? And I just say, that comment you made really hurt. You know, and, and I, I don't try and even understand why I just literally show, show it. Because sometimes, you know, you're so triggered, you can't even make heads or tails, especially with my man. You know, Mm -hmm. I've just gotten to the point where I leave, leave the cognitive out of it and I just give him my fully embodied response. Mm -hmm. And then it, what's so beautiful is when you leave the cognitive out of it, all of the energy is still in the body. Therefore you can have crazy amazing sex come out of every disagreement you know my my husband and i did a practice for one year one time where every single argument we had had to end in love love making. <laughs> and that was, yeah that was an asana and a half like how do you when you just you know we've been together for years it's like sometimes you really hate each other you know like you're just like Argh! And like, how did we take arguments like that and lead into lovemaking? It was this process of really, truly just fully embodying your response. And your only focus is, am I still open or closed? And so closed is rounding my shoulders over, stopping breathing, going into my head, trying to understand what's happening, trying to speak what's happening, you know, in any, in any way cognitively doing this. And to open is literally to just stand there with my heart revealed with full breath. So I can still feel myself. I can feel my trigger staying energy in the body and just being like, "Ah!" and then he goes, you know, it's like, I don't even need the words. He's just like, you know, he just can feel me. And then we meet there. And what it comes down to is your energy is either flowing or, or, stagnating and what creates great sex is flow and what creates great connection is flow so like with my parents it's non-sexual but it's flow i'm keeping the flow of energy between me and them and with my partner i make it more sexual um keeping flow and what kills relationship in every domain is when you lose trust or like feel hurt and then you literally clamp your flow down and the biggest way you can clamp your flow down is by no longer breathing. The next biggest way is by closing your posture, like collapsing in your solar plexus, rounding your shoulders to close your heart, clenching your vagina, you know, just being like, <clears throat> like, I'm not playing anymore. And so, um, you know, whether it's platonic or um, intimate, it's for me, it's all about open body, closed body, and just an asana of life where you, where you attempt to keep that open flowing system, you stay in your own fullness. And then what's so cool is that's where radiance comes from. So you end up just being this larger than life woman when you do this.
0: I love this body posture idea. So whenever you are feeling clamped and closed up, do you purposely, if you notice your, your shoulders start to round you purposely say, Nope, not going to do that. And then lean backwards
2: and then open your shoulders up. Exactly. And that's why that's why I don't need the um, I don't need the good like enlightened understanding of the argument to meet that moment. I literally this is why I teach something called the yoga of intimacy. I literally just do the yoga in that moment. Like if my husband triggers me and I'm just like freaking out, I will literally okay, don't turn your body away from him. Keep your body like literally you're facing him like your nipples are headlights and they're facing his body. That's my first step. And then it's like, am I breathing? My next step is to let my breath come back in, you know? And even if I'm hurting, you know, like, ow, 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 or angry or so mad, you know, it's like, I keep breathing. I'm committed to staying in feeling. Then what is my heart and solar plexus doing? So if I'm closing my solar plexus, I'm closing off fully embodied power. If I'm closing my heart, I'm closing off like, compassion and the ability to essentially stay connected to divine love. So the next step is roll those shoulders back. So like headlights are facing the man, shoulders roll back, breath comes in, (laughs) breath comes in. And then if, you know, if I trust the moment, if I don't trust, I don't expect my yoni to open and soften, but I do trust my husband, you know, and when we're in a moment and he's like re- giving me presence and like reestablishing my trust, you know, even if I want to punish him so bad because I'm so mad about what happened an hour ago, my practice is to come into the right now moment, meet him exactly right now with what he's giving me and then soften my yoni because when you soften your yoni, you allow the full circuit of energy to complete like all the way from the pelvic floor, all the way to the third eye. You know, you let that circuit complete with the headlights facing him. You're in that, you're in that offering of your energy. Even if it's fierce, even if I'm, you know, Kali, like cutting his head off because of his unconsciousness, it's still an open flow of energy. Therefore, relationship continues to stay possible the minute i pull anything back and cut it off cut him off it doesn't matter how good our agreements are or what language we use to come back together you know like sort of those more like therapeutic moments where you sort of talk it through if the body closes there's no more fuck Mm -hmm. that's the truth you know so for me wanting to live like a fully embodied sensual life That's why I keep the headlights, the shoulders, you know, the heart open, the solar plexus open, the Yoni soft.
0: Oh, my God. This is so good. I love this.
2: Isn't it the best?
0: It's the best. And you're so amazing (laughs) at, like, describing it because I talk about flow a lot. And I talk more about, like, the metaphorical sense, like the flow of life, like going with the flow. This is a totally different angle, similar, but totally different because it's talking about – Sexual flow too. And and even if it's a platonic relationship, being able to keep that relationship flowing. I love this. Okay. So this leads (laughs) me into my next question. This is awesome and beautiful. You have a partner, you have a husband that you trust and that you're going to work through things that need to be worked through. Now, rounded shoulders and closing off and clamping. Well, that's a surefire way to know something is off. How do you, though, know when it's off and it should be off for good and you shouldn't point your headlights and unclamp and that the relationship just is not right? What's the how do you decipher between the two? If the signals are the same with one, you have to consistently say, I'm going to remain open. How do you know if you're getting the same side effects that there should be a time where you? Well, not to say that you should close off, you know, no, because I you get want, you. you. You want to yeah, stay open, but yeah, maybe with that one person where it's not you're, you don't want to be. Yeah, okay.
2: I know exactly what you're asking. And you know, there are times um so here's 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 really let's start with this because no woman wants to feel herself closed, right? When you close your energy like there's two ways of closing. And if you close your energy outwardly and inwardly, that's when you become invisible. That's when like suddenly you're like, wow, did I lose my mojo? Did I lose my game? Nobody's even seeing me anymore. That's a sign that you've closed your flow even to yourself. So sometimes it is appropriate to not flow your energy outward if it won't be honored. Like for example, I, I have a product an online course and we talk about your blooming fragrant garden and that's what it looks like to be in your own flow. Is It's like your your garden is blooming and fragrant, and you've got that self-love, self-care going on, and you feel bright and shiny, and you're doing your thing. Well, very much like a garden, some people will come into that garden and trample all the flowers because they're unconscious, and other people will walk through that garden like it's the botanical gardens and appreciate every last little piece. So when you're in the presence of someone you trust, that's someone who would really honor your garden. And that's someone that you point the headlights, roll the shoulders back, heart, solar plexus, soft yoni. That's that intimate, trusting relationship, right? When you're in the presence of someone who doesn't deserve that and is really trampling those flowers, that's what I call going internal, so you never want to close to your own flow because it makes you dim and invisible and um, start to feel old and start to feel depleted, maybe suddenly like binging on food because you're desperate for nourishment, those kinds of things. You, instead of flowing your energy outward, you flow energy inward. You recycle your energy inward. And every woman can do this at Every, like at all times, you never need to close your own flow. And if you begin to live as an open flow for yourself, you're constantly nourishing. You're constantly tapping back into that like source energy. You know, you're constantly reconnecting to the, the earth's energy that is filling you and filling you and filling you to overflow. The big decision to make throughout your day is whether you're going to be sharing that with another person. And so what, since I teach intimacy, I'm always, I'm almost always talking about the intimate relationship where you chosen a partner that you trust and you want to be in connection with intimately. That's when no matter how much density there is, you keep that flow going with them. So there's a difference between trusting someone in general and, and trusting someone in every moment. And like with my husband, I trust that man. I trust who he is. Now, do I always feel trust? No, because in any given moment, I'm feeling energies, I'm losing trust, I'm gaining trust. You know, it's not that you trust the person. You trust the consciousness that comes through them. And therefore when he's on, I am in devotion to that. And if he's off, I am actually listening to that wisdom and seeing what is needed that I can serve him to come back into his fullness. So to sum it up, there's flow with yourself, and you always want to keep that going because that is what makes you feel radiant and beautiful and fully vital no matter how old you are. And then there's flow with another, and there's choosing another who is in a container with you. I trust you enough to put myself in a container with you and that would be where you go into the asana of constantly being in flow. And when you do feel the trust, you're in devotion, the flow is going. And when you lose trust, you're, you're in devotion to that person, bringing them back into full awareness where you would be back into trust. Mm. But if, right, But if you cut the flow, you cut relationship. You cut the flow with yourself, you cut relationship with yourself. You cut the flow with him, you cut relationship with him. So the asana is to stay in flow.
0: So if you're not really trusting him as a person, but you trust his consciousness, would you say that it's a similar aspect or a similar way that you do it with yourself, that you're not necessarily trusting yourself of who you are, but trusting your consciousness? Because I see this all the time where someone falls in love or in lust or an obsession with someone and this someone is a toxic person for them and something might happen to totally end the relationship, which is a blessing. I mean it's a blessing in disguise that it ended. And I hear, but how am I gonna trust myself? If I could fall in love with this person, how am I gonna trust myself to fall in love with someone that's different someone that's better than this person would you say that it's not about trusting yourself necessarily
2: i would say which self are you trusting because um when you talk to the i so many i work with so many people with that same thing and what we do is we go on a journey into the body into the womb right into the cervix and we start looking at that relationship from that embodied wisdom. And then they almost always start saying, oh, yeah. I mean, pretty much in the first couple of exchanges, he told me who he was. But, you know, I really wanted it to work out. So I, I hung in there. Or, well, you know, for the first six months we were together, I kind of pretended to be a little bit more light and fluffy than I really am. And then when I started to really show him who, you know, like my full fierce loving side, he was like, whoa, too much. I'm out of here. And so if you're listening to the deeper embodied wisdoms and whether your cervix is opening or closing with this guy, you're going to know whether or not you trust this guy. It's when you step over that that you kind of like end up like blindsided by you know, wonky behavior on his part. But what happens is so many of us are so dying to be in love that we sort of go into the fantasy mind and we skip over all the red flags. My, my advice is always date from your cervix. Like before he picks you up, drop into your cervix. Feel. Is it open or closed? The cervix doesn't lie and it doesn't perform. You know, like the cervix is always reflecting the field. And so if you could, like, soften the cervix and, like, relax and feel juicy in the cervix in the presence of this guy, you can pretty much count on the fact that something in your body knows he's worth your trust. But if you drop into the cervix on that date and the cervix is, like, super tight, super dry, going, "Uh uh-uh, even if he seems like Mr. Amazing, you know your body's going trouble down the road, sister.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so good. I love, I love this idea. <laughs> is there a part of the body you think that people oftentimes confuse with the cervix? Like they get butterflies in their stomach or tummy or whatever, and they think that that's like a good sign, but it might not always be that way. And it could actually yes. be something else.
2: Yeah. Um, absolutely. Great question. So um, the cervix is, so just for anyone who doesn't know, you know, if you're talking about the cervix, like if you think of the vagina, you have the lips of the vagina, which are the surface, and then you have the vaginal canal. And then at the very top of the vaginal canal, like where you would get a pap smear is the cervix. So it's very deep inside of you. You don't even need to feel it like viscerally to be able to live from it. If you literally just take a deep breath into your belly And then let that breath press down on the vaginal floor and let your awareness soften. You can pretty much feel the cervix. And I I have like uh, free guided meditations that help you feel this place. But even in that moment, you could probably feel the cervix. It's very grounded. It's very wide. It's very calm. That's totally, utterly different than butterflies in the belly. Butterflies in the belly are like nervous energy, almost somewhat disembodied in a way i'm talking about deep belly breath deep inner awareness really relaxing into free agency like you know who you are you're in sovereignty you're in your wise woman and you sit in front of this guy and you sense into the deepest part of your feminine wisdom and you'll know whether you're deeply open or contracted and not open. You will know. And that's, you could still get butterflies. Like when I first met my husband, I still had butterflies, but there was, there was something in my cervix that was like, yes, this is good. And then the butterflies were, this is so good. I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) What are your thoughts on people who date slash sleep with people who they, they have a closed cerv- cervix around or mm-hmm. they realize that this person is not on the same consciousness level as them. Mm-hmm. Maybe whatever it is, like they're very different or whatever it could be. What are your thoughts on people consistently hanging around that type of energy or sleeping with this type of person, do you think that in subtle ways it takes down your energy and it's because it's not a match, it's not something that even should happen for the, for fun, for shits and giggles. Like it shouldn't happen at all. If your cervix isn't like totally feeling everything about this person, or do you think that there's a time and place in some people's lives where it's like, okay to do that?
2: Hmm. Well, two things on that. Um, One, I I never really feel like there's a should because everything's a learning, right? And when you start listening to the body and you're living a a courageous life, you can learn from everything. So there's never like a should. Like with my clients and they say like, this comes up a lot, you know, hey, yeah, I I found this kind of like fuck buddy, I'd like to do it. I would never say don't. Mm -hmm. But what I have them do is begin to notice, does this increase the depth of you as a woman? Or does it make you need to go to the surface and reduce your depth so that it doesn't hurt you really bad? Mm -hmm. In other words, like if he's not being trustable enough to open your cervix, he's probably going to be really careless with you in many ways, Mm -hmm. you know? And if, if you have to kind of like, toughen up and be like badass girl to deal with him hurting you in that mm-hmm. way. Um, that's going to take you more to like surface relating and therefore you're going to be attracting more surface guys. If you have to reduce depth in your life, it's going to reduce the depth that you attract because every time you interact, you're going to need to harden up and toughen up a little bit. And then you go out in the world and suddenly the really good men can't even see you anymore because they're looking for a woman who's porous and um, who's like softened into the love body. So if he has the effect of hardening you up, he's probably going to be like temporarily good. I mean, the sex might not even be that good. Um, it's like a temporary fix for a long-term reduction in who you'll attract. Um, If, you know, your cervix is no just because you don't know him that well, um, that's different than he's hurting you. And in terms of that kind of hookup, what I advise women is that if you reduce yearning, you reduce attractiveness. So if you're hooking up so much that you're good, and you don't really need anything else, men feel you as already fucked in a way. Whereas you kind of want to be available, like yearning for love. That is the most attractive thing you could display to a deep man, is I am yearning for love. I am ready to worship deep consciousness. Give me a consciousness that's worth worship, and I'm right here to do it. That's what really attracts a deep conscious man. So if you have a fuck buddy who's kind of like filling your gas tank and you're already full, you're going to go through life looking already full. And that's not going to be interesting to a man who wants to claim you all the way. A man who just wants to sort of like snack on you is going to love that you're already full because you don't need anything from him. So, you know, it's like you attract more of those kind of guys by hardening up and being already full. Mm -hmm. Now, that said, sometimes women can go for so long without sex that they almost turn off. You know, it's like they don't feel beautiful anymore. They don't feel juicy. They don't feel turned on. And in that case, it's really nice to have an a, a encounter here or there that reminds you of how amazing you are, that kind of like turns the car back on, you know. Um, so sometimes it's really beneficial just to like put you back into the game, so to speak. But there's always those nuances of, you know, is it causing more surface? Is it is it deepening you into uh, that really, like, fully embodied, juicy place?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Is it taking you away from the person that you've become also? <laughs> like, if yes. you have worked for a while to develop your own consciousness and have practices and have standards and have boundaries and you're feeling really good about it. And then you crave love and you're open to love and you meet someone who is not on that same wavelength. But of course they're sexually attracted to you because you're amazing. <laughs> and so if that happens, like I love what you said, you gave so many different angles, which are all true. There is no, There are no shoulds and there's different seasons of our life and different reasons things happen. And it's always a beautiful learning experience that we can have from it. But I think once you start to pay attention to how your body feels, especially after a certain amount of time, you can know deep down whether or not something is working for you and making you feel good and bringing you closer to the person you want to be. And oftentimes I think like people will They'll realize pretty early on, like, this doesn't feel right. Like, maybe they sleep with someone and then they say, this doesn't... I don't know. I, I could live without this. It's not amazing. Like, we're not that connected. But it's almost like rejection is such a scary thing to be rejected that they postpone rejecting some someone else. And this happens for two reasons. It's like, one, a worthiness thing. It's like, if I reject this person and say that they're not a good fit for me... Then, like scarcity, lack. Are there any more? Will it be more men? I don't know. So like, they hold on to this person that might not be a right fit. But then also like they're afraid to reject because the own, their own boundaries, their own standards, they kind of let them go just because they're sometimes... I'm not going to act like I'm not a part of this sometimes. It can seem like the choices for conscious,
1: uh,
0: very self-aware, ambitious, passionate women... At times it can feel a little isolating in the relationship realm. If you're surrounded by people who are not there not where you are, it's a beautiful thing to be a woman working on yourself. It can also be isolating. So I think it's important to also ask yourself that. Are you doing this with a partner, with a person just for fun, and you're not having any fun? And instead you're holding on to them because you fear rejecting someone because you fear rejection so much and you've let your standards and your boundaries for the kind of person you let into your life go to the wayside.
2: Yeah. Well, and what you have to realize, I think a lot of women think, oh, well, you know, I'll just park myself here until Mr. Amazing comes along. And what they don't realize is the amount they have to, like, on a subconscious level even, reduce themselves to continue to tolerate mediocrity. Yeah they become a mediocre lover. Mm. In other words, they're meeting life at mediocre levels. And this Mr. Amazing they want to attract is probably Mr. Amazing because he's meeting life fearlessly as consciousness. He's only going to be interested in a woman who is fearlessly meeting life as love. So the damage of sitting in mediocrity is that you literally become an emanation of mediocrity and then you will only attract people living life in a mediocre way, which is usually not Mr. Amazing. Mr. you'd be so much better off. What I always tell my clients is like you would be so much better off becoming a friend of your own yearning. Literally make love to your yearning. You know, in the middle of the night when you're so tired of being a single woman working on herself and craving to be taken. It's like, could you let that pain pry your heart open, bring tears to your eyes, open your yoni? Like, could you begin making love to source from that place and begin living as one with that level of yearning, holding out for the man who's living at that level in worship of consciousness? Or are you going to just like, you know, put a bunch of band-aids on it and then put yourself into like a mediocre position of the way you're walking through the world and then just attracting more mediocre person people and feeling this story that there's no good men. That's where that no good men story comes from. It's when we give up on love, we go into mediocre relating, and then we get a bunch of that back.
0: Yeah, it's like eating a whole bunch of rice cakes when you have like this beautiful like fresh (laughs) loaf of bread being baked. But your rice cakes are by your bed. You might as well just munch
2: on them even though they're never satisfying. Exactly. You (laughs) couldn't have said it better. And the thing is, it's so unsatisfying that you Literally would eat like four times the calories of the rice cakes mm-hmm. because, and it's the same thing, you know, if you're settling for mediocre men, your yearning's actually gonna feel worse than if you literally meet your yearning in your solo practice and become one with it where you're not afraid of it. Like, I'll give you an example, just since you brought up the food analogy. So to reject your yearning, if yearning was chocolate, you would be like, No chocolate. I'm not eating chocolate this whole year. Like, I'm not even going to look at chocolate. I'm not going to think about chocolate. I'm not even going to do chocolate. Um, To sort of, to not ignore your yearning but also not address it would be to buy a bunch of sugar-free chocolate and eat, like, enormous amounts of it because it's not actually what you wanted, but you're sort of, like, trying to meet the need but not well. And then you have a stomach ache from eating, like, a bunch of garbage chocolate, Right? What I'm talking about with embracing your yearning, if yearning was chocolate, is you look at the chocolate, the actual chocolate that you want, you have like a little piece of it, you feel it all the way down, like you let yourself just utterly experience it. And then when you want more, you allow yourself to be almost like fucked by wanting more. So you're like, Oh my God, that chocolate was so good. I want more. Where in my body do I want more? Oh, I want more from my heart. My heart wants more. What does it feel like to want that much? That's how alive I am. Oh, if I like connected to how much I want that chocolate and I let that literally open my heart and then what if I let that like sink all the way through my torso and I can just feel my hunger for that chocolate and like wow, I haven't felt this alive in months. And then what if I took a breath into that hunger and literally embraced that hunger? What if I wasn't afraid of my hunger? And what if I didn't feel like a breakdown over my hunger because I didn't let my hunger convince me that I'll never eat again? And I let myself so be with that hunger. And every time I walk in the kitchen, I'm going to walk by that chocolate and give it a look. Like you and I, we know what's up, you know? And you literally became in devotion to your hunger for the chocolate where it wasn't the enemy. It was the thing that pried you open into love. That's exactly how you could relate to men.
0: Yeah, like not being afraid and not being scared of your own hunger. And your hunger isn't necessarily, not even necessarily, your hunger is no longer a threat to your own self-love. And that's something like... I think that too, like people are, are, I've seen people be afraid of wanting love, which is why they repress it because wanting love reminds them of their lack thereof. But if you reframe the story and you say you want love instead of saying, this is a reminder of lack thereof, you say, instead, this is a reminder of how deeply available I am to love and how sexy that is and how ready I am for whenever that comes.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah, And then you love love and you love you loving love and you let love pry you open every day.
0: I really like that. Love pry you open. Like I really (laughs) like that because it makes me think of how life sometimes can make us want to feel clamped. And you are getting pried open because love is that powerful. Like it's really strong and it's, its presence is really loud. It's there for you. It's available and it's prying you open. Even whenever your instincts, your fight or flight might might say to stay closed, it's prying you, which is great. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And it's only prying you if you let it. It's just like, uh, man, you know, it's like you could block it out or you could let it pry you open.
0: Okay, so we're coming up here on time, but are, we didn't <laughs> so even get fast. to talk about serpent medicine. Should we, save it, should we save it for another one or should we like yeah, do it? Yeah, okay. let's
2: do a whole podcast okay. because there's so much amazing magic to the serpents. I could literally go on and on and on. I
0: think we should. You're someone who I'm, I'm obsessed with already and I really want to get you back on like really quickly. So <laughs> we'll let's do. save the next one for serpent medicine because that's like, I'm fascinated by that and I can't wait to learn more on it.
2: Yeah, I could. We definitely will do that. That sounds great.
0: Okay, so before we go to the quick fire round, where can people connect with you online?
2: Mm, um, my website is londonangelwinters.com dot com, and it's London with an I, L O N D I N angelwinters dot com. Perfect.
0: And I will have the link to your website and your social media on the show notes for this. This will be episode one hundred and seventy eight. And quick fire around time. So, whatever pops in your head first. Okay. All right. Um, what is one life changing book everyone should read?
2: Um, Bhagavad Gita. What's it called? Bhagavad Gita.
0: Bhagavad Gita. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, cool. <laughs> um, what did you eat for breakfast?
2: What did I eat for breakfast? I haven't had breakfast yet, but I had um, uh, yerba mate tea ceremony.
0: <laughs> oh, nice. That sounds satiating.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: what are three words to describe you today?
2: Mm, happy, juicy, and uh Grounded.
0: What edge are you on in life currently?
2: The edge of exposing myself um, in the public eye terrifies me.
0: Ooh, interesting. I like that. I wouldn't have known that about you.
2: I know, right? I'm facing that edge courageously.
0: (laughs) Who are three people you'd invite to your perfect dinner party?
2: Hmm. Wow. Um Man, that's a good question. Um
0: They can be dead or alive. Yeah? Yeah. Or I could even say who are three people you'd invite to a dinner party tonight? So it doesn't have to be the perfect, because that's a lot of pressure. But if you have yeah, tonight,
2: who would it be? I would say um, Johnny Depp, Nikola Tesla, and um, just for visual excitement, the um, that guy from Game of Thrones that was married to Khaleesi and died early on. <laughs> the guy's oh, so
0: Oh my God! I know. <laughs> have you seen his his wife?
2: No. <laughs> okay. You need
0: to Google this couple because it's really ridiculous how adorable they are. Yeah. That guy's amazing. Yeah. What's his name? Oh, gosh. Oh, man.
2: Sam, Sam, Drogo. Sam,
0: come. Something
2: like that. Oh, I don't it, know.
0: You mean his real name. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Good answer. Um. So <laughs> I would even say that Johnny Depp would be like, even still, he would be the best eye candy at that dinner, even
2: with him. Yeah, yeah, I know. I agree. I agree.
0: <laughs> if love tasted like a flavor, what would it be?
2: Mm. Dragon fruit. Ooh,
0: that's different. I've never heard that one. <laughs> okay, last question. If you had a talk show, what would you name it and who would be your first guest?
2: Mm. I would name it. Oh, man, I would name it. Yes. And my first (laughs) guess would be. I would have to pick like the most amazing belly dancer in the whole world and um, talk to her about what it is to live in the body.
0: Ooh, good. I love that. I like the Mm -hmm. name of it, too. Yes. yes. Welcome to <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, London, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am obsessed with everything that you have to offer, and I can't wait to have you on again.
2: I look forward. Let's talk about the snakes. Yes,
0: snakes. So yeah, me too. Everyone, if you want to check out her website and any social links that she has to offer and all of her goodies, you can go over to the show notes for this episode. You can go to MaddieMoon slash london-angel-winters, and you can get all of that there, and I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening.